Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. One of the ways you can evaluate a culture or a nation is to look at it through the eyes of someone who's not from that culture or nation. So if you were to drop in on America from another country, you'd grown up your entire life in another country, there are things about America that would seem very bizarre to you that we wouldn't, if you've grown up here, you wouldn't even notice. You would just go like, oh yeah, everybody does that, everybody believes that. Like America has an obsession with some things and, and a real aversion to other things. America is obsessed, and, and if you came from another culture, you may recognize this when you see it in our culture. America is obsessed with sex, right? It, it is, it is, uh, it, it, it's very different than, than most places in the world. The, the use of it to sell things, the promotion of it, the, um, just the, the, the desire for it, the, the, how we chase after it, how it, it, per, it pervades so much of life uh, in our culture. Uh, America's really obsessed with it. Um, I'm not going to talk a lot about that next week. Uh, this week, we'll get into that more next week and the week after as, as the book of 1 Corinthians gets into that. Um, but also, America's obsessed with food in a really weird sort of way. And, and, and again, you don't notice it if you live in it, but it is a little bit weird. I mean, we have grocery stores, which already by themselves are incredible, that there's so much food in one place that you can just go in there and grab it off a shelf and take it in the history of the world. That's incredible. But if you don't want to do that, there are restaurants everywhere where people will just make it for you. And if you can't even do that, they have trucks of it. There are food trucks like, it's crazy. It's like, hey, you're too lazy to go to a restaurant. I'll just wheel it over to you, and you could just have it on the side of the road. Like, that's kind of incredible in the history of the world. We are so obsessed with food in this country. We have things like hot dog eating competitions, right? Like, that's weird. Not sports, not athletic, not, you know, marathons, not Spartan races, but hot dog eating. Like, that's a thing. We have entire channels on television devoted to food, the Food Network. Isn't that weird? Isn't that, I mean, it's, it's a little weird, right? Like, the, 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 the best parts about food are, wouldn't you agree, the way it tastes and the way it smells. Both of those you don't get on a TV channel. You just get to look at it. And people are like, oh yeah, I love it. It's like, I love watching that stuff. That's weird, man. It's really weird. We, we love food so much, we love looking at it. And so that, that's, that's, our, that's some of our, our cultural things. But you can also tell a lot about a culture. By, and, and the food one we will also get into, because Corinthians is going to get into that. We will get into that closer to 4th of July. So just when you're having steak and brats and all that, we'll talk about that then. Um, the, the, the other thing, though, about culture that, that you can notice is what a culture will forbid. Sociologist Philip Reef, who is a, a, who is a sociologist at the University of Pennsylvania, said um, that cultures organize themselves around what they forbid. So historically, think about food and dietary restrictions. A culture may say, this food is kosher, this food is not kosher, or halal, this food is halal, right? It's, it's, it's safe for consumption, this is a good thing or bad thing. And cultures do that. Oh, there are, there are things in this culture we would, uh, yeah, don't eat that. 
that. That's weird, man. Don't eat that kind of stuff. Or there are things around sex that we would say, do this, don't do this. There are things around marriage we would say, do this, don't do this. There are things around education, employment, money, like housing. Like there are all sorts of things out there where as a society we say, these things are off limits. But I was thinking about it and I was thinking, you know, for the most part, America's a pretty libertarian country. You're free to do mostly what you want to do. There's a couple things you can't do, right? But, but mostly you can do things. Like you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. You can't carry a gun in a gun-free zone. You can't not pay your taxes. You can't, uh, you know, disobey traffic laws. Like we have some rules around our behavior that we have agreed to as a society. But mostly we're allowed to do just about anything. But there are a few things that I think we, that we say as a society, oh man, like socially, we're sort of like, no, you, you just can't do that, man. Like that's way over the line. And, and, if, and I was thinking about it and I, and if I thought, and I was thinking like, what is, the, what is the sin in American culture? We may not call it that, but what is like the thing, the thing that if you do it, you're just, everybody thinks you're bad. You're just a bad person if you do this thing in American culture. And I think the, the, the great sin in America, the one thing we are all not allowed to do, is to judge people. You say, man, don't judge me. Why are you judging me? Oh, man, the judgy McJudgerson over there. Like, they're just so judgy. They're just all up in my mix. They're always telling me what to do, what I can't do. Just leave me alone. Let me be me. And we say all that stuff. We say, like, well, no, man, like, whatever. Just you do you. And, and, and that we're trying to say, I don't judge you. That's what we mean when we say that. Like, that is the thing. You can be so many things in America. You can be narcissistic. You can be rude. You can be crass. You can be arrogant. And in some ways, you will get promoted and rewarded for that kind of behavior. But if you are judging people, that is the worst. We absolutely believe that you must not do that. You see it all over in in popular culture. Uh, Let me give you some song lyrics. Chris Brown, in a song to his current girlfriend, who doesn't want her to judge him for his ex-girlfriend, says, so please don't judge me and I won't judge you. Because it could get ugly before it gets beautiful. Please don't judge me and I won't judge you. And if you love me, then let it be Beautiful. That's, it's beautiful. It's just a, it's a lovely song. Just move to it sometime. Don't shut. Uh, a very old song. Uh, uh, actually, this, this one's from the 50s. This is Bob Marley. Bob Marley wrote a song called Judge Not. And it says, who are you to judge me and the life that I live? I know that I'm not perfect and that I don't claim to be. L- those lyrics, how embedded in the psyche of our culture are those kind of lyrics? We think that stuff. I not, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm not even claiming to be perfect. So before you point your fingers, be sure your hands are clean. Judge not before you judge yourself. Judge not if you're not ready for judgment. Whoa, oh, oh. Right? He says it, especially that whoa part. I was really feeling him there, right? That's Bob Marley. These are, these are things in our culture that we say about judgment. And then Tupac says, only God can judge me. Sort of famously. I was going to put up some lyrics from that song, but this is a family establishment. <laughs> I don't know, that's a good idea. You can just imagine. Don't Google it later. Um, so so the, the reason I bring this up is we're, we're in this series um, called Barely Holding It Together, and um, we have been required to, uh, we've been required to make judgments a lot over the last year or more on 
all new information that comes out and, and some things in, in culture sort of radically shifted and we had to say like, uh, do I believe this? Do I believe that? Am I gonna, am I gonna act this way? How should I act around these, this group of people and this group? Like it's been complicated to navigate the complexities of the things that we've been thrown into. Some of your school teachers had to do things virtual. So, you know, like it's, it's tricky stuff that we've had to navigate last year and it requires us to make judgments and by judgments, I mean it has required us to be discerning, to say, I will do this and not this. And as soon as you do that, you're making a kind of judgment. You're saying, this is good, this is bad. And we've had to do that a lot. And one of the reasons um, some of us feel like things are falling apart on us is it, it's exhausting to constantly having to weigh those things and make those kind of judgment and, and all the self-doubt that creeps in. Am I doing it right? Should I be doing it a different way? This stuff's really tricky. And the, and, and the early church was uh, blowing apart in some ways. The church at Corinth that we've been studying these last few weeks that Paul writes a letter to in the year roughly 54 AD, um, that church, after Paul had spent 18 months there, it started to blow apart. He, he left and while the cat's away, the mice will play or whatever, and the church started getting pretty wild and had a lot of challenges. And a lot of the challenges the early church in Corinth had are the same kind of challenges that the American church has now. And so it's good for us to look at it. So I want us to look at um, what Paul says about judgment. There's, there's, there's a lot probably in chapter four, 4 that we could cover, but I want to really... Um, kind of zone in on this and zoom in on this, this idea of, of judgment. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, we'll start with verse 1. It says this, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. See, Paul's the original Tupac. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Paul starts in a very humble posture and says, even though he's a big deal and he planted the church and he's a, an apostle and a close, this close follower of Jesus, this leader to them, he starts by saying, consider us as servants. We're, we're, we're servants. It's not about titles. It's not about glory and honor and earthly wealth and success and that kind of thing. It's just, I'm a servant and I'm here to serve you. And he says, I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. I had to look this up. This is actually a a different thing in the ancient world. In the ancient world, if you are a priest, say, of the religion of Mithras or something like that, you're a priest of, of these other gods or religions, um, the idea, the understood idea is that the priests know the mysteries. They know the special stuff. The regular people don't ever get to know that stuff. And so the priests keep that stuff on lock. They know the special stuff about the gods, and normal mortals don't get to learn that stuff. And Paul says, no, I... Uh, I'm, I'm here to be a steward of the mysteries of God, and, and that involves sharing it with the people. Uh, a steward doesn't believe, if you were a steward of something, you, you, are, you, are, um, it, you own, in a sense, you own something that actually belongs to something else. You are, you are taking care of something that someone else owns. And he goes, look, the mysteries of God, this, this teaching of God, the knowledge of God, it's not mine, it's from him. I, I, I'm going to take care of that and share it with everyone that I can. So it's, it's a pretty humble posture of stewardship. We typically think of stewardship in terms of money. 
in, 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 in the church in America. We say, oh, stewardship means all your money belongs to God, therefore take care of it that way, which I, which I think is, is one good application of it. But, but Paul also says we're the stewards of this mystery of God. And then he gets into this idea of judgment and kind of gives this idea basically of, of only God can judge me. But notice what he says when he goes through it. He, said, he basically says, it matters to me little what you think of me. So people are criticizing him when he's not there. And he says, it, it, it doesn't matter a whole lot what you think of me, which is different than saying it doesn't matter to me at all what you think of me. Because what I want to be like is like, you know what, it only matters what God thinks of you. Who cares what everybody else thinks? And Paul doesn't exactly say that. He says it matters little what you think of him. And I think there's some honesty in that. I would love to get up here and be like, I just, I just say what God tells me to say, and I don't care what anybody thinks. Cool and all, but if you don't care what anybody thinks, eventually nobody will be there to listen to you, right? Or like, and, and, that, and that's true in every engagement, every teaching, every social media interaction that we all have in our lives. We all care a little bit about what people think, at least some, right? We know it can be obsessive, we can care too much, but we all have to care at least a little bit. And Paul says, um, it, it doesn't matter to me a lot what you think, maybe a little. But then he, 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 he makes the move and he says, um, and I don't judge myself. I'm not, and then he says, I'm not aware of anything against myself, but it, I'm not acquitted because of that. See, our, our modern idea takes that first part of like, hey, uh, I don't care what you think. You don't judge me. This is our modern culture. You don't judge me. Don't listen to the haters. Get rid of the negativity in your life. Cut out the people who don't build you up. Find people who support you. If you don't love me when I'm, you know, whatever it is, like if you can't handle me at my worst, then you don't deserve me at my best. That's the kind of stuff we say when we're trying to say, don't judge me. We, we, we go inward and sort of go like, you don't judge me. I, I, I know me. I, I'll handle it. You just need to, 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 to back off. And so we, we go inward and we say things like, man, you define you. You are awesome. You look in the mirror. Here are 11 affirmations successful people say every day. I, that was an article I saw. I didn't read it, but that was the clickbait article this, this week. I was like, do they, do they say all 11 every day? I bet they don't. Um, I'm just cynical like that. Um, but, but here's the deal. If we, if we move from you don't judge me to I judge me, well, there's a problem in that. There's a flaw in that, and I think you probably know it, right? And you've felt it. Um, I'm very capable of self-deception. I'm not always good at reading myself. I think I'm awesome. And sometimes I'm very much not. And I won't know that. It's like, it's like body odor, right? Like, why are you smelly? How come you don't smell that? How, you know, it's like... It's the person who is the thing sometimes doesn't see the thing because they're kind of living in it and they're, they're in it. Um, we are all capable of self-deception. We are all capable of believing. We go from, you don't judge me, I'm going to judge me, and I judge me is kind of awesome. Guess what? Serial killers think they are awesome. They, are, they think they are making good life decisions. All of us. We all do that. I, I, I have some wrong beliefs. I don't know which ones they are. Some of them are wrong. I don't know. I think everything I believe is right. Don't you? If I thought something I believed is wrong, I would believe something different. So I think I'm right. And you do too. 
We think we're right and we're good and we're on track, but, but people go very wrong believing that they are very right. And so there's a flaw built into this idea. Don't judge me, I will judge myself. That's not going to work. And that's why I really appreciate that, that Paul uh, sidesteps it. He doesn't say, don't judge me, judge yourself, and then um, take the Myers-Briggs test, get the Enneagram, do your disc profile, find out if you're like a beaver or an otter, and then learn your Hogwarts house. And if you know all of those things, and maybe throw in which friend's character you are, and if you know all of those things, then you can judge you, because you will be self-aware. It's not what he tells us, because you can do all of those things and you're still missing a key piece. Pastor and author Eugene Peterson says this, my identity does not begin when I begin to understand myself. There is something previous to what I think of myself, and it is what God thinks of me. Our identity, we've talked about this before, our identity is given to us by the Lord. It's not just something we, we, we cobble together with some personality profiles and something a teacher once said and something our parents said and all that. We, um, it comes to us from Lord, and, and so Paul doesn't say, don't judge me, I do plenty of that myself, which is something I've been tempted to say over the years. Instead, Paul says, don't judge, judge me, I don't judge myself, because I'm, uh, even though I don't have anything against me, that, that, that's not good enough. Because Paul knows you can have a bad day and think you're terrible, you can have a great day and think you're amazing, both of them are not true, right? Paul says, God judges me. I look to God. What does God think of me? Now, this sounds fine in theory, but I want you to know this has been a very real and practical thing for me to think through over the years. I have been criticized plenty um, when you speak publicly about these days, almost anything, you're going to get criticism. And so over the years, I've had people say, Chris, you said this, and that's terrible, and, and don't say this, and why would you do that, and, and all that. And I, and I would imagine that you've gotten some of that in your life, too. Um, I have a lot of people say to me, because my job is to do, part of my job is to do this, I've had a lot of people say, man, I would never want your job. Um, and usually I'm like, I don't want yours either. Like, what are we doing here? Are we, is it, are, are we trading? Can we trade? Like, <laughs> there are days, though, that I'm like, I don't know. I don't think I want it either, you know? Um, I have been criticized, and when people judge me and they're critical of me, and here's the key, when I know they love me and they're for me, it stings, but it heals. It, it cuts like a surgeon to make something better. And I've experienced that. I've had people pull me aside and say, Chris, this, not this, or, or look, look at what you're doing. Here's a blind spot for you. And it, it hurts, but it but it has the effect of healing me. When I have had people criticize me and I've had people uh, lie about me, intentionally misrepresent things I've said or done, um, that stuff really is painful. And I've had to go, okay, I'm not going to listen to the haters. Or I've had to say, well, then am I just going to listen to what I think is true about me? And I've had to come back to Paul's advice and go, no, judgment really uh, I, I need to look, if I want judgment and, and know who I truly am, I need to look at the Lord. Um, I cannot be defined by someone else's judgments over me, um, and I can't be defined by my own judgment over me. I have to be defined by God. Now, it would be easy for me to say at this point, 
There it is, guys. Don't judge yourself. Don't let other people judge you. Or don't listen to them when they do. Only God judges you. Peace. We out. Have a good lunch. Except that next week we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 5. And we go one chapter later than when Paul said this. And listen to what he says, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 13. This is a little preview for next week. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy, the swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For This is weird. Listen to this. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Whoa. It would be easy to stand up here and say, don't judge anyone. Don't judge yourself. God judges you. And yet Paul, a chapter later, a couple paragraphs later says, hey, if someone's blowing it sexually in the church and these areas, like, you, need, you might need to just kick them right out of the church. Like, and, and, and he even says, like, isn't it the job of people in the church to judge other people in the church? Let's unpack that a little bit because that's uncomfortable. Uh, When he starts by saying sexual immorality, think about he's writing to people in the Roman Empire. Roman Empire, you're going to have um, men with a a wife and a mistress, and then there will be like sex slaves and temple prostitutes. There's a lot of sexual things going on in the Roman culture. Um, And so uh, all all would fall under the category of sexual immorality. And when Paul says, uh, don't, uh, don't, you know, associate with those people, uh, don't, he's, not, he's like, uh, I'm, I'm not just saying like everybody because you'd have to leave the culture completely. You'd have to leave the world basically if you want to get away from people who aren't doing those things. But what he does say is it is not your job inside the church to judge those who are outside of the church. Let God deal with them and what's going on with them. So it's like, okay, that's, that's good, actionable, practical. As followers of Jesus, it's not my job to pick up a bullhorn and yell at the culture and say, y'all are doing it wrong, right? Um, and, and, and that's my, my, my frustration is that, is that people, people do that. But what is he, what is he talking about? He's, he, there, there's a couple ideas, I think, around judgment here. There's ultimate judgment um, of like saying to someone, you are going to heaven or hell. Or usually on the judgy side, it's you're going to hell because you're doing X, when we do that kind of thing, we are, that is like the classic example of I am above my pay grade here. Like it is not my call to say these people are going to hell, these people are going to heaven, that kind of thing. That is for the Lord to sort out. And Paul makes that point and says, don't, don't do that. Which is, which is why I take issue with people who want to soapbox in Carytown or in other places and they stand up and they want to yell at everybody walking by and tell them how bad they are and how the judgment is coming and all this stuff. It is one thing to warn people, I suppose, but uh, another to, to, to be judgmental at them and, and judge people. And I, I, I don't know about you, I find it pretty unproductive. I, I'm, I'm sure somebody in the history of the world has heard someone yelling at them from, from some sort of box on the side of the street and it totally changed their life. But I think mostly that doesn't work. 
Um, so the ultimate judgment of you're going to hell is not our place to make. Um, what we are called to when we are called to judge is to be, uh, is to maybe to put another word on it to distinguish it, is to be discerning. We are called to say these are good things to do, these are bad things to do, and it's okay to say that they're good and bad, and I'm going to pursue the good things and stay away from the bad things. And, Paul says, we are supposed to do that with one another in the church. We're supposed to be able to go to someone in the church that we're in relationship with, not just some rando that you saw in the bird or something, but like that you're in relationship with in the church and go, hey, I'm, I'm with you in life and I see you walking through this and we're in a group together, whatever, this is going on, like tell me about that and, 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 and where you're at and, and let me walk with you in that. And, and there, there should be some challenge there. Um, we're supposed to be able to do that. Now, that, that strikes me as a very bad advertisement for a church nowadays, right? Like, join the church, because that's when the judgment really starts. Like, we should put that on the website. Hey, we will, hey no judgment here until you're one of us. Then it, gets, then it gets real, right? Like, that doesn't sound like a good advertisement. Um, but, I, but I think there's, there's something there. Uh, the church is not supposed to function like the rest of the world. It just isn't supposed to be that way. And when you read Scripture, and this is a principle for all of Scripture, and believe me, this is going to matter next Sunday and the Sunday after when we get into some stuff, but listen to me. When you read something in Scripture that is uncomfortable for you, when you read something that does not jive with what you already think to be true, when you read something that you're like, I don't like that, I don't want that to be true, I'm not comfortable with that, that's bad, that's a problem, in that moment, you are going to be tempted to lean out and walk away from that. And I've seen it happen over and over and over again. People read it and they go, I don't like it, therefore it is wrong because I am right, and they step away from it. Instead of that, instead of leaning out, I want to challenge you to lean in and go, "What is? if, if we believe this is the words of God that have come to us and that he's given this so that we can have life, and grow, and learn, and and be changed, then we have to lean in especially to the things that make us uncomfortable. Um, If you haven't read scripture that makes you uncomfortable, come back next week, and I'll read you some, and the following week, okay? And then you'll know what I'm talking about, because you can read things that feel like judgment. And I understand that because I live in the USA too. And I know what that feels like. I know what it's like to read something that doesn't line up with everything that is screamed at me from popular culture in all forms of media. I know what that's like to feel the dissonance. But we need to lean in on this. Here's, here's the deal. Judgment within the church. I actually think it could and should look like this. Christians are not called to be the people of judgment. Unfortunately, we get that reputation. Oh, the church is just judging everybody, right? That's the church yelling at the world, which Paul is saying, no, leave them, let them do their thing. Um, The church should actually be known as, followers of Jesus should be known as people of love. And, and we should be learning to lead in love and be a loving people in, in all of our relationships, in, in relationship with outsiders, insiders, uh, in, in family and friends, we should be a loving people. And so 
when love and judgment sort of intersect, I think there's two ideas. Number one, it is unloving to be constantly finding fault in someone. It is unloving to be constantly finding fault in someone. I think there was some excesses in the church in Corinth, many of them, but in this, in this instance, there are excesses in, in judgment in that they are constantly picking at and making sides and, and kind of, and it's ripping the church apart and because they're constantly judging one another and, 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 and um, in the next chapter, in chapters to come, they're taking each other to court. Like there's just some stuff and Paul's like, look, dial that back. Constantly judging is, is not a good thing. And you know this. Do you have people in your life that constantly judge you? Yeah, everybody does, right? It's like, oh, you know, people say, people say things like, oh, you know, my, uh, yeah, I, I share this with my mom and she constantly judges my decisions. Or, or like, oh, dad, you know, my dad, every t- everything I tell him, you know, he's always judging me, you know? Like, that doesn't build good relationships, right? That, that, that's not, that's not great. And, 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 and some people, it seems, in, in the world can, can find the thing to judge and can be critical of darn near everything. They can find, you show them a silver lining, they can find the dark cloud. They can find the bad side of all the things and what could go wrong and they have a very dark side to their imagination. They can imagine everything that could be terrible all the time and they'll tell you about it. And usually people like that, oftentimes they will say things like, well, I'm just really blunt. Oh, I'm, I just tell it like it is. You know, they say things like that. I'm a truth teller. You know, a lot of people can't handle but, you know, if you're friends with me, you'll know where you stand with me. And I'm always like, I'm going to stand far away from you is probably where I'm going to stand with you. Because, right? Because there, there almost seems like, it sounds like they're saying, I'm very aware that I'm a truth teller and I'm blunt and I'm direct and honest. But it's also like, you're also very not aware of how that comes across. Right? It's, it's weird. And, and I'm sure you, we all know, know, know people like that. Um, people who are constantly finding fault, um, that, that's, that's not great. I mean, they may be right, but if they're going to do it in that constant judgmental spirit, they're going to be right and they're going to be alone because nobody wants to hang out with it, hang, hang out with them. Constant judging pushes people away. Um, and so we, we, we want to get away from that. We want to get away from the constant judging. So we think the loving thing to do is not be like that. So instead of judging, I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to say nice things. I'm going to be positivity. I'm going to not judge you. I'm not going to question your decisions, your values, your morals, your ethics, anything about your life, your choices. That's all you, you do, you. We lean way far away from that. Our desire is I don't want to ever be judging and so I'm not going to constantly do that to people. I don't want to be that person. So we go as far away as a culture as we can from, from, that, from that kind of thing. Um, and and we, we, we try not to judge and we surround ourselves with positivity. And, and, I, and, I, and I would just say that isn't actually the loving thing to do either is to, is to step away from it. Because if it is unloving to be constantly finding fault in someone, the, second, the other side of that coin is this. It is unloving to constantly overlook fault in someone. You're not loving someone if you constantly are are overlooking these glaring things. If that's not loving, that's called enabling, right? And you see that in in all sorts of relationships. You see that in addiction recovery. You see the enabling behavior. Think of a family member who um, blows everybody up on text messages or whatever and, and gives you all of their 
rants and conspiracies and frustrations with everything in the world and the way it is and voting and politics and all of those things. And, and you know when they sort of blast that out on an email or text, you know that they are annoying either you or everyone else in your family. But oftentimes what people do is we just sort of go like, oh, thanks, appreciate it, or just, you know, that was nice, okay, thanks for caring, or something, you know, we just, something to like, let's placate the crazy guy, crazy uncles at it again behind the computer, let's just let that ride, everybody just shh, and it'll pass, <laughs> right, this is the thing we do, because we don't want to conflict, we don't want to judge, we don't want to push there, but we're not loving, we're not loving when we constantly overlook the faults. Um, and so, that, because that doesn't help anyone actually grow and change, because they're just going to keep doing it and not aware of how it costs them. In church, what we want to do is create a space for people to know and be known, for people to understand you and, and, and know you and for you to understand them, for people to love and be loved. My, my hope and prayer is that when people come here, they... They feel loved. They, they build connections where they are loved by, another, by a community of people. And, and, and not every connection you have to have in life is family or the people I work with. Like there's something else here that we can build. And so that is our hope, that you know and be known, that you would love and be loved, and that you would challenge and be challenged. Everyone needs that. Um, if, uh, everyone needs that. If I'm disrespectful to my wife or, or talk badly about her or, or, or not, handling my kids well or I'm mean to somebody in my small group or something like I want someone who knows me and loves me to pull me aside and say yo Chris like that maybe is not the best way to do that and 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 challenge me because if they're for me and they love me um I can I can receive that faithful are the wounds from a friend the scripture says but an enemy multiplies kisses an enemy is actually going to look at you and be like you're good just the way you are you're perfect. You're amazing. You go, girl. That's an enemy multiplying kisses. But the faithful wounds from a friend are going to be, hey, what about that? Hey, I saw that you did. Are you sure about that? Hey, let's talk about that. What, what was going on and, and how can I help? And that, that, that helps people grow, and we all need that. Let me finish and listen to how Paul does this a little bit at the end of 1 Corinthians 4. Listen to what he says. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ, Jesus, through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's challenging, right? That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will, not, and I will find out not the talk of those arrogant people, but their power, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with a love in the spirit of gentleness? So Paul... Um, He's not rubbing their noses in it. He's not trying to shame them. He's actually trying to come to them like a loving father and say, like, I'm like a spiritual father to you guys, and I'm trying to lovingly put you back on track. And he even says to be imitators of him. And I don't know about you, but when I read stuff like that, that's challenging to me. Not that I couldn't try to be an imitator of Paul, who's trying to follow Jesus, but it's challenging me to think about 
am I living in such a way that people would imitate me? And if people did imitate me, would it point them closer to Jesus? Is there something about the way I live my life, how I take care of my family, how I speak, uh, the jokes I tell and the jokes I don't tell, the, the language that I use, the, the way I show up at my work, um, the way I spend my money, the things I look at or don't look at? Um, is there something different about me, that people, if they were going to imitate me, it would actually draw them closer to Christ. And if not, if that's not true, if no one looking at you would get closer to Christ if they just did what you did, why is that? And, and what needs to, to, maybe, to maybe shift there in us? Um, notice Paul is kind of bringing the heat, right? He ends by saying, uh, do you want me to come with a rod? Like, do I, or do you want a spirit of gentleness? Like, do I need to, don't make me come down there. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll stop this car right now, Paul says, right? He's, he's kind of doing that thing. Um, but I want, you to, I want you to notice something in the way that lands on you. Because we read that, I think, as a modern American, we read that and go, man, that's a little harsh. Like, he's really, I don't know, judgmental. It's like rough. He's, he's being a little bit, I don't know, kind of a, kind of a jerk maybe. I don't know, maybe Paul's a, and then we go into all the things that, oh, the historical Paul was a jerk, misogynist pig thing, like we go start doing all this stuff. But here's what I want you to notice. When we read stuff like that, it says as much if not more about us as it does about Paul or about what we're reading. Because we read that like it's about, like he's an angry, mean dude. And that's because of how we Read it, not because that's exactly what, what he was. Uh, we live in a culture, um, we're so trying to be careful not to offend. We, we, we don't want to hurt feelings, that would be the worst. We don't want to judge people. We, we want to be very, very careful around everybody's thoughts and, and ideas and, and, and their emotional state. And, the, and we want to care for everyone around us in the best way that we can. We live in, 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 a, in a culture that's really hyper about all of that, um, and, and, then the, and there's a downside to it because in a culture where we don't want to hurt feelings and we don't want to be judgmental, we are missing faults and, that are in front of us and we're not challenging people and we're not growing. So hear this, and then we're done. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to know this. Um, you are loved by God. You are known by him. He made you. He made you as you are. Um, and he knows you, and he loves you. It doesn't mean that you're going to stay exactly as you are. There's, there's growth to come. There's better things ahead. But that's the work he wants to do in you. He knows you, and he loves you. And your job, then, our role as followers of him, is to extend that love to others. Yes, that's going to mean giving to others. That's going to mean serving others. That's going to mean being kind, because it's sure better than being a jerk. It's going to mean doing those things of, of, of acting, loving towards, towards others. But it also might mean that we need to bring some judgment into the community. And, 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 and hear me when I say judgment, let's just say challenge and discernment in, into the community. And then even in your own life, you need to bring discernment. Culture cannot set a line for us of good and bad, right and wrong. It does and you go back and look at every culture through the history of time, and they're all wrong at points on things. And they all thought they were right in the moment. 
We cannot rely on culture to set that stuff for us. The followers of God need to have a different set of priorities and standards than that. And we need to align ourselves with the scripture and we need to discern what is good and bad, what is right and wrong. People will say that if you set a standard of good and bad, right and wrong, that does not align up with American culture, people will say that you are judgmental and uptight. And that's okay. The truth is, you're not. You're just discerning which is exactly what God calls us to be. Let's pray. Lord, there's so much thrown at us at all sides and all times. Um, There's just an onslaught of information and judgments and challenges and, oh, we should do this and don't do this. And uh, Culture is very loud on these points. Um, God, I I pray we listen for your voice, that that we can say with Paul, Your judgment of me matters little to me. I don't judge myself. I'm not beating myself up, but but rather I I uh, I I listen to you as as my as the God who loves me and knows me, created me. Um, I listen and and discern what you are teaching me, what you are showing me. Um, God, um, I pray for those who have felt the weight of judgment and it and it sent them to a dark place whether it was from friends, family, the church, um, something in, in our culture. And I pray that uh, there can be healing from that, that they would um, use this time to refocus in on, on who you are and who, who we are in light of you. God, I pray in the church that we will, as we grow as a community, we will lovingly um, care for one another and, and challenge one another as 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 is needed um, so that we can all become more like you. In your son's name, we pray all these things. Amen.